0: Every show is a dose of inspiration. This is Success Profiles Radio. And now, here's your host, Brian K. Wright.
1: Hello and welcome to Success Profiles Radio. I'm your host, Brian K. Wright. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you here today. I'm honored that you chose to spend part of your day with me here. And this is going to be a fantastic and amazing show. I will introduce my guest in a moment. I promise we're going to have a lot of fun. I do want to take a minute or two to share some things I've been learning and thinking about lately, and I usually do this every single week. Not long ago, I went to an event in Dallas. It was one of the first live events I've attended since COVID, and it felt so good to get around like-minded people in person again. When you surround yourself with people who are committed to helping and serving others, it's truly a blessing. One of the speakers inspired me to write down a set of affirmations and record them. I did that and had my virtual assistant loop them a bunch of times so that I would have a 20 minute audio to listen to as often as I wanted to. Here are a few examples. I feel good about the money that I make. I receive preferential and VIP treatment wherever I go. I make money at will. I refuse to be average. I am in accumulation mode. I always do the work. I do what I say I will do. I don't make excuses. I always go above and beyond. I am disciplined every single day. I hold myself accountable. I always help others succeed and win. Listen back to this section if you're listening to the replay and ask yourself what you might add to this list or come up with your own list. Feeding yourself with positive content is so critical. Why not have some of that content originate from yourself and listen to your own voice affirming the things that you want in your life? The power of great ideas comes from being around powerful people in your network. And again, that's where I got this idea from. So what can you do do today to build your network even further? I challenge you to think about that and to come up with your own set of affirmations. With all this in mind, I do want to introduce my guest, but if you've not picked up my latest book, it's called The Greatest Lessons I Learned from Being an Entrepreneur, Volume 3, it is the third and final installment of The Greatest Lessons, entrepreneur series, and it's available on Amazon. The Kindle version is 99 cents. The paperback version is 1499. You can't even shake a stick at that. Join me and a whole bunch of my collaborative friends who all run businesses and have all learned lessons. You'll get to learn about the good, the bad and the ugly we've all gone through. And chances are, if you're an entrepreneur, you've been through at least some of the situations that we wrote about. So get that on Amazon. My guest this week is Matt Kirkgaard. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He has the quintessential success story of what it means to overcome hardship, earn success, and give back. Fifteen years ago, he moved from Wyoming to Nashville to pursue his music dreams. When he arrived, he spent six weeks living in his car, and he was homeless for a year and a half. Today, his luxury real estate firm is the fastest growing real estate uh, agency in Nashville, and has been named in the top 100 real estate agents in Tennessee. He has recently been featured in CEO World Magazine and Realty Today. We have a lot to talk about on today's show. So here we are with my very special guest, Matt Kirkgaard. Matt, how are you? Welcome to the show. Doing well. Very well, sir. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. The first question I normally ask everyone, Matt, is to tell us, did you envision early on that you'd be where you are right now?
2: <laughs> uh, not even a little, like not even a chance. If you would have asked me 15 years ago, what my life would have looked like I would have given you a very different answer. I, uh, I, um, I'm really a musician by trade, still a professional musician, um, and that's always been kind of my go-to. I started playing piano when I was six professionally when I was nine, all I've ever known, all I've ever done. And so I, I very much anticipated that music would be the only career choice for me. Real estate was not even a, a figment in my imagination at the time. Wow. What kind of music did you play? Uh, I'm a pianist, first and foremost, composer. I'm a pianist and composer. Um, I'm classically trained, grew up playing with symphonies and stuff like that. I was invited to Juilliard 14, to turn wow. it down um to uh, pursue my own composition and my own writing and my own storytelling instead. So, uh, yeah, so just not even a chance. But here we are. Wow.
1: That's really interesting because I liked writing music in high school and it was mostly piano stuff. I Amazing. learned I learned that I was a terrible lyricist. <laughs> so if, if I was either Elton John or Bernie Taupin, I would have been Elton John because Bernie Taupin was the lyricist and that's not my skill set at all. Totally, I am a professional totally writer, a but songwriting is a very <clears throat> different type of writing for sure. Different discipline for sure. Absolutely. So what made you want to pick up and move to Nashville to pursue
2: country music potentially? So people, have, there's, that's common misconception. Nashville yeah. tends to get the rep for country music, but actually all the music in the USA filters through Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, all the production rights organizations are here. Many of the labels are headed here. So um, kind of no matter where you add a lot of you, a lot of music is going to filter through Nashville anyway. So for me, there's really three cities in the country that are options. If you want a full-time music career and to be at a world-class level, and that's going to be LA, New York or Nashville. And I started. I went to school in LA, and Nashville's the next stop. So I moved to Nashville to continue the journey, and um, and I've been here ever since. And Nashville's home for sure. Absolutely. So you lived in
1: your car for a few weeks when you got to Nashville. How how did that happen? I mean, every
2: musician kind of has to have that story to really be legit, I think. Um, No, I I moved from, I'd never been really east at the time. I was just out of college, and I actually was still in college. I tested out of the music program in L.A. as a freshman, and so um, I ended up leaving school early, not paying a ton of money for general studies courses and finishing my degree online, so I was 19, and uh, Nashville is my next stop. So I drove out to Nashville, didn't know anybody. And so, uh, ended up living in my car for six weeks and met some great folks and was able to crash on their couch for a bit until I got a job and got an apartment and the rest is history. But, um, um, that was kind of the plan. Yeah. Absolutely. Would you say that being homeless taught you to be more resourceful? So there's two pieces that you mentioned in that little intro, you know, there's the six weeks in my car when I moved to Nashville. And I think that taught me to be really bold and really just go out and meet people. Yeah, I love meeting people. I just go to the coffee shops and just introduce myself to people. The homeless piece of that is a different story. That's after I got married, actually. So that's several mm. years later. Um, my wife um, and I had a financial crisis. A, a, a family member um, ended up stealing a lot of money from us. And uh, we lost our house. And we were homeless for a year and a half oh. together um, because that family member stole a lot of money from us. And so, um, so that's actually when real estate started. I made okay money doing music up to that point. I'd been in Nashville at that point um, for seven years, six years, seven years. Wow. Um, <clears throat> I've been doing music as a, a full-time at that point. And then that happened and I, I, made enough money doing music, but not enough to recover that kind of loss. So mm. that's when real estate came into the picture was to recover that kind of loss. We were homeless for about a year and a half before we were able to start getting our feedback under us again. Wow.
1: That's absolutely amazing. What, so you, you were homeless while you were selling real estate. Was there any form of imposter syndrome running around in your head during that time?
2: You know, uh, I know the reality is, is that, you know, you you can um, owning real estate and selling real estate are very, very different things, you know? And at the end of the day, I, um, if you don't have an option, but to make something work, you make it work. Right. And so um, I didn't have an option. Like we were, I mean, literally homeless. We had no place to go. We don't have family involved and we didn't have the option to really do anything else. And so we were bouncing from, one friend's dining room to back in our car to another friend's garage, like just wherever yeah. we could kind of crash. And again, this is my first year of marriage too. So this is right. the thing, but, um, we, yeah, I don't think imposter syndrome was the right. That was the, is the right thing. there wasn't any of that. I, I knew I was good at what I did and I knew I could do it and I knew that I had to do it and didn't have an option. Nope. So we, we just wow. plod forward. Great. So what made you decide to be an entrepreneur? I mean, it's kind of in the genes, uh, I mean, a little bit for me, I, uh, you know, being a musician, when you decide to be a full-time musician, I mean, entrepreneurship's the very foundation of that type of a lifestyle, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'd always worked for myself and always, um, had a hard time working for anybody else. And so... Um, so that didn't change. Real estate just became another level of that entrepreneurship that I feel like it could yeah. do. And and I, I realized that the checks were large enough to recover and get us back on our feet. And so it was something yeah. that I really pressed into. Absolutely. And a lot of
1: people are not willing to pay the kind of price that you paid for success. Why do you think that is? 100%.
2: Um, it's a hard thing when you, I had a a, uh, coach of mine tell me at one point, you know, it's really, really difficult to go from zero to one. It's much easier to go from one to 10 Mm. and most people don't go zero to one. Most people Mm. find something and go one to 10 because that's starting something new that like you said, paying the price, what it really is, is it's a complete risk. Everything's on me. A hundred percent of the failure is on me. A hundred percent of the cost is on me. And if it doesn't work, I lose. And so and that's always the case for an entrepreneur going from zero to one. You're the one that that you have to believe in your product and yourself more than anybody else does. And it's 100 percent you until you can get everybody else on board. And that, um, you know, it's a lot yeah. of work. It's a lot of it's a lot of risk.
1: Yeah. And I love what you just said about how it's harder to go from zero to one than it is from one to ten. I've asked a few people on this show, what is the hardest part about becoming a millionaire or making your first million dollars. And the answer I always get back is making your first hundred thousand because oh, you, you have to figure out what you're doing. You have to figure out what your systems are because then and only then can you actually scale what's working and then it gets easier.
2: Well, and once you get that, you figure out what's working. And from there, it's just scalability. So then it's nothing more than just putting in the hours and making sure you've got the efficiencies in place to make it happen. And it just continues to snowball.
0: Mm-hmm. The
2: problem is that first part. And and most people quit somewhere in the middle of that because it usually means a ton of sacrifice. It's a ton right. of risk.
0: Absolutely. And I've
2: always, my wife and I both, neither of us are risk averse. We're very big risk takers in life mm-hmm. in general, which goes mm-hmm. well for us in this. Most of the folks that I've seen that have either quit early or have mm-hmm. never started are just mm-hmm. really adverse to risk. Yeah. And and don't want to
1: take that risk. Does risk averseness run in your family or are you and your wife, the contrarians?
2: We're definitely the contrarians. We're very much the black sheep in our family, but in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, And you know, Part of that, I think, is again. I'm a musician. I'm an artist. So right. I chose a career that was never going to make me any money anyway. Right. right. So, um, right. I, I mean, this was that was never. So money's never been a motivator for me. It's never mm-hmm. been the point. Um, doing what I feel like I'm passionate about and and living the lifestyle that I'm passionate about has always been the point. So that yeah. made it easier. But. Yeah, absolutely. And it <clears throat> is my philosophy that the
1: black sheep always becomes the goat in the end. It's it seems to be a running theme. Absolutely. We've got just a little bit before our break. We are here with Matt Kirkgard. We are going to talk about real estate and we're going to talk about how he went from where he has been to where he is now. He uh started a real estate agent and agency <laughs> in Nashville and he has been named one of the top 100 real estate agents in the entire state of Tennessee. We'll talk about how that happened. We'll talk about some of the biggest differences between building a business that's primarily local, like real estate, versus Mm -hmm. other industries. And we'll talk about how important it is to build locally and, and just some of the things that you can do to be creative now that COVID is basically over, what you can do. And so we're going to come back after the break. My very special guest is Matt Kirkgaard. This is Success Profiles Radio. Please stay with us. Don't go away. We will be right back on the other side. Please stay with us.
0: Mission is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. It's words never. Heard.
3: Man cannot live by bread alone. He must have his peanut butter. Peanut butter is a pate of childhood, and it's not just for kids, his dogs love it too. Last night I gave my dog a pill hidden in peanut butter. What's a word for a messy concoction that helps the medicine go down? Sliver sauce. Mice apparently prefer peanut butter to cheese when it comes to luring them into the trap. But there are even more practical uses for peanut butter. Peanut butter contains natural oils, which makes it perfect for removing all kinds of sticky things, like gum stuck in your shoe or in your hair. What's a word for the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth? Arachiebutaphobia. And according to Barry Goldwater, if you don't mind smelling like peanut butter for two or three days, peanut butter is a darn good shaving cream. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
1: And we are back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Matt Kirkguard. And if you've not downloaded and subscribed to Success Profiles Radio on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, please do so. Leave a five-star review if you think it's worth it. I would love that forever. And if you have Alexa or Siri or a Google device and you ask that device to play Success Profiles Radio, you will hear the most recent episode. So go ahead and do that. It's a lot of fun and you can hear any episode that we've done. And by the way, my 11 year anniversary show is next week. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be awesome. So Matt, let me ask you next, what is the most expensive mistake you have ever made? I love asking this questions of entrepreneur because it doesn't have to be financial. Sometimes it's a time energy thing. Sometimes it's something we gave up on too soon or didn't start soon enough. Sometimes it's something we held on for way too long, but what is the most expensive mistake you think you've ever made?
2: It is a great question because every entrepreneur has made plenty of expensive mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think my my answer to this is actually going to be maybe different than many of the folks you have on here. I, okay. um, I like I said earlier in the in the show, money is not my motivator. So I actually do genuinely care about people, and in one sense, that's actually been the most financially lucrative thing that I do. Is I care I'm, I'm people over profits hundred percent of the time. Mm-hmm. However, that also translates to there have been um, dozens of times and dozens of people that I have. Given of my in in my company and in life in general that I give a, an extraordinary amount of time to even financial to. and so I bankrolled my company a lot longer than I probably should have when I started. Mm. Um, I bankrolled my the folks on my team um, for you know I bankrolled all of the the systems everything and then we were we could have been more profitable, but I paid I paid substantially over industry rates. I made sure that I I I was always you know in that generous posture. And on some, on some level, I actually don't regret any of that because I think that, that is, um, you know, that's my heart and that's who I want to be as a person. However, there are moments when you also have to look at the, the bottom line and the, the purpose of why we're growing and where we're going and understand that I'm actually not doing a lot of people a service because my company is not thriving as quickly or as, as fast as it should have been because of that generosity as well. So the most expensive mistake I probably ever made was, um, was not actually running the business, not actually watching, you know, profitability and expense rates and, and measuring that as closely as I should have as we were in our mm. growing process and growing phases. Wow.
1: that That's a really interesting answer. Thank you for that. Do you mm. have coaches?
2: I do have coaches. Yep. I've had um, a couple of different coaches in the real estate industry um, on and off. And then we have had a business coach for a couple of years who is not actually in the real estate industry at all intentionally. I wanted a business coach disconnected from that industry. Um, and so, yep, absolutely. Coaches are vastly important. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. What are you reading right now? Um, well, right now, most of the books that I'm focused on have to do with parenting. I have three littles. Uh, mm. A seven-year-old, a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and and that is the absolute most important job and role that I have right now, and everything goes by the wayside when it comes to that. So that's my focus, honestly. So most of it is gentle parenting and how to care for my kids well, and um, and and chase after my kids. So that's that's my focus at the moment, if I'm honest with you. That's the last uh, the last focus, business wise, that I had were was a lot of um, investment strategy, wealth building, and um, and understanding how to basically reutilize profits and capital to continue, you know, time money makes money far faster mm-hmm. than time, and so figuring out how to utilize profits to continue to generate those passive revenue streams. Fantastic! What is the highest value skill that anyone needs to develop? Um, that's a great question, and I think my easy answer to that is is um, is is the willingness to just take a step to try. I think that I think that I think that it's failure is not a bad thing. Failure is just an effort and is an opportunity to learn how not to do something, how to move forward, how to grow. And so I think a lot of people get paralyzed, not trying. And I mm-hmm. think that um, I when I coach people and I, I work with my team members or, or other people trying to do things, I'm like, just go for it, like Force that can happen. Not really that bad, you know, and one of the things that I did growing my business, you know, it's such a relational business. I would sit in a coffee shop all day long and I would just introduce myself to people mm-hmm. because people are going to be the key to the entire, no matter what you do, no matter what kind of business you're building, people are the key to that business. It's always about the who it's yeah. always about the people that you're meeting and the networking and the relationships that you build. And so just being willing to like jump out even if it's awkward and embarrassing and feels completely unnatural it'll get more mm-hmm. natural as you go but making sure you're just willing to jump in and meet everybody you can meet i um, love that i can't tell you how many times people were it took it caught people off guard cuz i'm so bold about that but i just mm-hmm. love to meet people and take them to coffee and um i used to probably i used to probably have about 60 coffee dates a week nice where i was i had met someone i didn't know and i said hey i don't know you what's your name let's go to coffee i want to meet you and hear your story wow 60 a week that's a lot yeah yeah not kidding um yeah definitely a lot but it was just that's when i was growing and i had to that's what i did i just met people and i invited them to coffee and i bought their coffee and wanted to hear their story and um that's how we, that's,
1: i mean that's how i built a business yeah so i want to ask you now that you've said that what did that lead to
2: i mean that's where that's why i am where i'm at right like we've Um, I grew really, really fast. My first year in the industry, I was in the top 10 agents in the highest volume office in the state within six months. And, you know, you meet 60 people a week, new people a week. Um, inevitably I'm going to have business from some of those people. Yeah. And what I learned is sometimes it's a house sale. One of the guys that I met there has been an investor and he's bought 27 homes for me, probably a grand total of 20 or $30 million worth of business for me in the last bit. Um, I just met a guy that I I really worked my way into and, and took him a coffee and didn't think there was a whole, like, I didn't even know what he did or where he was at. Long story short, he's a developer and he's given us about $500 million worth of deals over the next five years. Wow. Um, and so just, you know, you never know who you're going to meet. You never know what that deal is going to lead to. You never know how it's going to play out. And the wow. most unassuming people can be the people that take your business, you know, from trying to figure it out to really thriving. You know, you just never know. Wow.
1: That is absolutely amazing. So real estate is primarily a local business. What is the biggest difference between building that type of business versus other industries where your customers can really be anywhere?
2: Sure. Um, That's a great question. You know, and and. While real estate can scale and can have customers anywhere, I mean, I definitely close business across the country through referral networks and I've closed a deal in Paris, France from referral networks because we live there wow. and and whatnot. So, I mean, I definitely have a, a global presence there. However, like you said, it is more or less, at least in the building phase, it's hyper local. Um, I, would, I would say the difference is it's, it's even more relational. It is even more personal. People say it's not personal, it's business. And I'm like, no, nah, it begins with personal. It always begins with personal. And so for me, it's it's um, because it's local, I need to know everything about my locale. I need to know my city. I need to love my city and be passionate about my city. I need to know what people here are operating. And every city is different, right? I'm in Nashville. I'm in Music City, which means I need to gear my business towards what Nashville holds. And what the way I run my business is going to be wildly different than the way someone in New York runs their business. They're going to have to learn about co-ops and the way that the, the the Manhattan real estate market works. Completely different than Nashville. So um, and it's, it, again, it c- will continually come back to relationships for me. You've got to be even more
1: invested in those relationships. Absolutely. In addition to what you just said, what else helped you become a top 100 agent uh, in in a city or in a state as large as Tennessee?
2: Um. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think part of it is, is, and and part of it's just timing, you know, Nashville is on the rise. We're one of the top, <laughs> excuse me, one of the top markets in the country. Yeah. So just by default, we are um, busy and growing and that's a good thing. And I, I was positioned well to take over a lot of that. Um, I'm genuinely passionate about my city. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a musician, so I understand yeah. the heartbeat of my city, maybe better than some, maybe yeah. better than most, especially yeah. real estate agents. So um, I think I was able to speak into the demographic that's in Nashville, maybe a little bit um, more relatably, mm-hmm. empathetically, perhaps, um, but genuinely comes down to passion. I think passion is contagious and I'm genuinely passionate about Nashville. So when people are talking about moving to Nashville or buying and selling in Nashville, I'm genuinely passionate about my city. Yeah, and, I love uh, that. So I, I think I win business because people are like, well, I don't know, but that guy's, you know, he's really excited about Nashville. So we're going to work with that. You know what I mean? I just I, I think that yeah. I up some of that business because of that.
1: Absolutely. So would you say that having a background as a musician in Nashville gives you a strong competitive advantage? I would imagine so.
2: For me, I would 100% say so. Um, And um, yeah, definitely Nashville. That has helped a lot. It's put me with the right lenders and financiers and and folks that work with musicians know how that whole industry works because it works different than most other industries. And so it definitely has helped a lot. And And it, again, built a really strong network foundation for me to begin with as well.
1: Absolutely. So we've been talking about supporting the community that you serve and getting to know and love your city deeply. Uh, it's it, Business is more than just about being seen at networking events. It's about meeting people and f- where they are and finding ways to be of service, right? Going to coffee shops, going to maybe going to concerts, uh, maybe going to, you know, just out of the, you know, out of the off the mainstream, off the grid and just meeting
2: locals there, right? 100%. And being willing to, um, I, I think you think about any sales meeting you've had, you, you've got the, the sleazy salesman. And usually the sleazy salesman talks about themselves and what they have to offer and what they're bringing to the table the most. Mm-hmm. When I go into any meeting with anybody, I'm talking about them. I want to hear their story. Tell me about yourself. Like, what do you do? What's your job? What's your story? How'd you get here? Where'd you move from? What are you passionate about? You love coffee. Let me tell you about my favorite coffee shops in Nashville. Yeah. Or, oh man, you like folk music? Okay. There's this there's this really great venue and it's all folk and it's all Americana and whatever. Right. I can, I can really dive into what their story is and what their passions are and meet mm-hmm. them there. And so it's all about them. And it's all about, let me figure out how I can help you in your space. Sometimes for a musician it's, Hey, I'm struggling. Cause you know, musicians are, I've got 17 side jobs and I'm trying to figure out how to make ends meet. I can say, let me talk to you about how real estate can provide a passive income for that. Let's talk about that. And so I work yeah. a lot with musicians getting that passive income flowing and
1: So anyway, it's all about
2: their story. It's diving into what their story, what their passions, where they're at, what they're looking for.
1: Absolutely. We've got a couple minutes to our break. So being a big advocate of knowing and loving your city, that means you buy locally as often as possible because people will buy from you if you show that you support them, right? Almost exclusively, yes. I, I love that. That's absolutely fantastic. Uh, we'll talk more after the break about paying it forward, but I know that's a, another big tenet of of how you how you operate. I mean, you never forget where you come from. And so you, you do support other people. And when we come back from the break, we will talk about the Lift Up Initiative, which you're very passionate about, where 10% of every commission mm-hmm. goes directly to that fund. And that helps absolutely. people who need mortgage assistance or rental help and gosh, what a great idea. It's getting expensive to buy, even to rent nowadays. And something like that is so, so incredible. Um, Some of the most, some of the most successful real estate agents I know, do give back. In fact, I worked for a real estate agent in Arizona where one of their big ways of giving back is Toys for Tots at Christmas. Another big mm, thing they okay. do is doing water drives because Phoenix is a desert. So they do water drives where they ask people to bring in their bottled water, they take it to missions and homeless centers, and to even taking it and get to people who are sitting on the street not having where to go. It's just, it, I I love entrepreneurship because there is that component. We'll come right back after the break. If you want to know more about how to write a nonfiction book, whether it's business, self-help, or how-to, reach out to me at www.briankwright.com for more information. Once again, that's Briankwright.com. If you are in business, what is the number one thing that stops revenue growth? Not having enough leads. Data is the new gold rush We're back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Matt Kirkgard, and we are talking about real estate. We're talking about building businesses, especially when they're based locally. And before the break, I teased the topic of paying it forward. And Matt, you have an initiative called the Lift Up Initiative. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, I. Uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about where I came from. From that, when I started real estate, I started Lift Up, and um, Lift Up ten percent of our profit, of our company profit goes to the lift up fund which i manage and um it provides rent and mortgage relief for struggling families and individuals in the community and our clients get to nominate the folks that that fund gets to benefit um so it's a it's a give back initiative for the clients that use us that they get to be part they get to participate in and then it uh it ends up continuing to support the community in which we're active in as well so which i feel like is really important for any business to be able to be very involved and supportive of the community in which you're active in so I love that. And when
1: you give back as a team, it just bonds your team together, doesn't it?
2: Oh, for sure. Absolutely. It's exciting for the team to know that we're all part of the same the same effort. Yeah. And I know that you don't give just to receive back, but it does work like that. When you give genuinely 100%. to give, it comes back to you. A hundred percent. In fact, more more so for sure, which I feel like is a principle that's pretty set. Mm-hmm. And that that's kind of the way that works.
1: Absolutely. And another of the tenants that you operate under in your business is that failure is a part of the path. And we talked about mm-hmm. this a little bit already, but you talk about celebrating your moments of failure. That might strike people as a little bit odd. Tell us about that.
2: Sure. I think anytime you listen to really anybody that has uh, done well or found success, they're going to often, their story is going to be riddled with the failures and with the things yes. that didn't do well. And they don't talk about those things with any negativity or any animosity. They talk about those things with nothing but positivity. And, hey, it's because of that failure that I learned X, this principle, this truth, and then I was able to move forward and get to where I'm at now based on that knowledge. And so I think that failure becomes quintessential to being successful.
1: I love that. That's great. So because real estate is one of those industries where repeat business and referrals are so important, especially since people don't buy a house real often. Isn't the itch cycle about every seven years or so? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. So how do you stay in touch with clients throughout the years so that you stay top of mind?
2: That's a great question. Um, that's great. Yeah. I, I mean, some of it is, again, being really involved in my community. Again, the lift yeah. up thing is a huge part of that because we're consistently s- touching all of our previous clients saying, hey, who do you know? that is struggling that might need some help that you can nominate since you're our clients you get to nominate these people so making people aware of that sharing our stories we're consistently in their email inbox of course granted I'm not entirely sure you know i get hundred and some emails a day I, I don't read most of them so I, I think that's probably true with most but i um we try to make a really concerted effort on our team to um know the the little details about our clients we know their kids birthdays we know their birthdays We know, birthdays, we know anniversaries we know home yeah. buying anniversaries we know you know, we have the you know, ideas of when kids are graduating and such like that. And so it gives us the opportunity to, again, step into their story. Yeah. I talk about people's story a lot. And I say, you know, my my whole thing is, is when you're buying a house, you're starting a new chapter. When you're selling a house, you're closing a chapter and starting a new chapter. And, yeah. and, and I want to hear your story because inevitably – it's more than buying and selling a house buying and selling house tends to be one of the things that is driving this move or, or driving the motion of their story but the emotion and the heart and the passion and what's happening in their life behind that story ends up being a lot more important and sometimes if i can if i can dive into those pieces of their story really hear their story really be present with them in mm-hmm. that story then yeah. um It really has less to do with me being top of mind. It's less to do with the business. It's really more to do with the fact that I'm just there to help. And inevitably, buying and selling a house is something I can help with. (laughs) Right. And a lot of people forget to stay connected to their clients. For sure. Absolutely. And that's one of the most important things for any business. It doesn't matter what you do and where you're at. At the end of the day, you have to stay connected with those folks that you're doing business with because that's your number one source of business going forward. Absolutely. Tell us about your TV show, Selling Nashville. It's a
1: great way to stay connected with your community, just like we've been talking about.
2: Yeah, it's been super fun. The uh, It's part of the American Dream Network, which is uh, produced by Craig Sewings out in LA, I believe. And um, so there's several different cities, you know, you have that have this this kind of real estate lifestyle TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in Nashville, we have five different hosts that are on the TV show once a month. And um, I'm one of them. And uh it's super fun it's really fun to be able to feature you know again i know i, I shop locally i'm at my local coffee shops so i'm at my local butcher and grocery stores and i know the owners of so many of these things being able to focus and feature and highlight some of my favorite other local businesses around town as well as highlighting some of my favorite homes that i'm i'm yeah. part of um it's it's a really fun way to do that and the the tv show um gives a little bit more of a spotlight and a little bit more viewership to kind of the fun yeah. and exciting things happening here in Nashville. i get be part of it i love that That's absolutely fantastic. So how do you pick
1: your guests? They're local businesses, obviously. They're people that you probably already do business with,
2: right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, most of them are my friends. I'll be honest with you at this point. And again, it's all relational, right? But most of the folks that I am like, hey, I want to really celebrate and champion your business or whatever, (laughs) are usually end up being friends of mine that I want to dive into their business as well. I support my business. I support their business. Sure. So for any real estate investors who
1: might be listening, how is the Nashville market right now? Is it a good investor market? How are the, how are the prices relative to anywhere else? Tell us a little bit about what Nashville is doing
2: right now in the market investors buckle up. Nashville is the place to invest. And I don't say that just as a real estate sales guy. It's actually true. Nashville is the one of the fastest growing markets in the country. We have had, in fact, last the last two years in a row, the fastest appreciating zip code in the country is a Nashville zip code. Um, and we're talking like 37% year over year. So there's just extraordinary opportunity here. We've got massive organizations, Fortune 100 companies relocating all of their, you know, relocating headquarters here. We've got 147 people a day moving to Nashville. We've got Hollywood studios. We've got film rights, so we're getting Hollywood studios starting to open up their entire operation here. We've got just amazing things, and the, the 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 move is is not slowing down. I tell my I tell my folks all the time, like Nashville is moving from a C-level metropolis to an A-level metropolis, and our contemporaries are going to be New York, Los Angeles, Chicago dallas atlanta like we're in that echelon of a city at this point and you're catching us in the middle of it so if you are investing in real estate nashville's the place we're one of the tourist destinations we're one of the top sports destinations we just and then you've got all the music and we're our own ecosystem so we're not even really subject to the rise and fall that some of the rest of the country will feel because we've got our own ecosystem with the music industry absolutely so where would you advocate someone start
1: i mean a lot of people think about single-family homes but if you lose your renter you're at zero So there's duplex, there's fourplex, there's apartment complexes, commercial. Where would you where would you start?
2: All of it's great, and so much of it depends on so much of it depends on your current situation. Again, I need to hear your story, so it's hard to say that you know, unanimously. I need to hear your story, I need to hear your goals are, and then we can put together a strategy. So your first place is going to be get in touch with a really fantastic real estate agent who's an investor focused real estate agent. There are lots of good real estate agents that don't work a lot with investors. One of my, my my personal primary work is with investors. So it'd be it'd be really you know advantageous to get with an investor friendly focused real estate agent to be able to help you run numbers help you know what parts of the city to invest in and then figure out what your goals are and go from there but one of the biggest things you can do in nashville if you are looking at investing is and there's it's a very 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 slippery slope but if you can find the right place that allows for non-owner occupied airbnb Mm -hmm. in the nashville area it is a it is a 10x win no no problem i mean it's just a no-brainer so i which we have a
1: lot of those I was just thinking about that. That'd be a great place for Airbnb if you found a place or an area that allowed it. Because some some places are very snooty about not allowing stuff like that.
2: And we are. Nashville's very protected on it for a reason, because there was a time in Nashville where it wasn't, you know, they didn't have a lot of regulation around it. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people with a lot of money that did a lot of bad things in Nashville and hurt hurt Mm. the city a bit. So there's a lot of regulation around it now. However, um, we are the number two Airbnb city in the country. So, wow. uh, revenue is extraordinary. If you can, if you can grab a non-occupied Airbnb in Nashville or an occupied Airbnb, you can, I mean, you can make, make a ton of money and mm-hmm. contribute to what is happening in Nashville. You contribute a local's perspective of what's going on in Nashville yeah. as well. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like selling real estate in Nashville is a pretty good gig right now too. So nationals has been it. has been a really great gig for the last couple of years for sure. Right. I mean, in, in any shifting market, the last few months have been different, you know, obviously with inflation and rates going up and everything kind of shifting. It's a shifting market. So yeah. what that really does is that weeds out all of the, all of the agents that don't know what they're doing, which is great and makes room for agents who do know what they're doing to take over that market share. And so we're poised to take over that market share in a big way yeah. this year. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's definitely a great gig. It's, it's, you know, it doesn't mean it's easy and it doesn't mean it's not without its trials and it's, it's right. hard work, but it's a super rewarding time to be in Nashville for sure. And a really exciting time to, yeah. to watch Nashville grow. You know, yeah. when I moved here, there were two skyscrapers in the sky and now there's, you know, 30. <laughs> so wow. it just, it's, it's just, it's crazy to see the exponential growth that Nashville's experiencing. That's
1: amazing. So as you built your agency, Building your team was critically important because if you hire wrong, it can set you back because it takes a lot of time, a lot of resources Mm -hmm. and the opportunity Mm cost for not getting it right the first time. So what is your philosophy of hiring or bringing somebody on your team?
2: I took a a class called career visioning by Gene Rivers Um, and Gene's one of Gary's kind of top folks. He kind of started in Keller when Gary started Keller. And um So he, and he has an entirely higher hiring strategy. And let me tell you, it is a long, long, very drawn out process, Mm. but it involves profiling everybody. It it involves disc assessments and a KPA, which is a Keller Design Personality Assessment. It involves figuring out exactly where the right fit is, it involves, um, you know, getting peers together to co-interview with you and, and co-speak into the right fit for that person for you. And then people who are disinterested in your team also commenting on the right fit for you and your team and ultimately offering the job to the individual. Hiring is crucial. Even if yeah. a bad hire can tank your business, right? So uh, right. Gary's thing, and I, I wholeheartedly agree, is it is always the who. Yeah. Your business growing and exponentially thriving is always about the who. Always. Yeah yeah, so it's about getting the right people in the right positions. I've had the right people in the wrong positions before, and it's it's catastrophic, but I shift them to just the right role and they uh-huh. thrive, and my company just drives. So yeah. it's always about the right person in the right position. So hiring the right person can sometimes be
1: a very problematic thing. So do you sometimes hire people that maybe aren't a great fit for the exact position you're hiring for, but you know that they'll be a great fit somewhere else on your team?
2: I have done that before because I knew that there was something coming that they would be a great fit for. And I wanted to make sure I got them off the market. So they weren't going somewhere else. I have done that. Um, And I have, so, so there's strategy in that too, but it's always, it's kind of always a cost analysis, I suppose. But um, I do think that it is, I do think that the type of person is, is integral. So I, I would hire a, I would hire an A level person and a B level skill set all day Mm -hmm. long over an A-level skill set and a B-level person. I want someone with the maximum amount of integrity. I want someone that's Mm -hmm. self-motivated and driven. I want someone that's passionate about what they're doing, and I can work with that, and I can help them learn to be that A-level skill set. Yeah, that is so perfectly said because I've always advocated
1: hire for character, and you can probably train the Mm skill set if you have to versus the other way around. You can't teach someone to be a good person. That's something they should have learned at home. Agreed. For sure. Yeah. Totally agree. yeah, so we've got about a minute or so to our last break. How do you know what to say yes or no to? How do I know what to say yes or no to? As far as jobs
2: go, that you know or well, anything, any, or anything, in anything. Yeah, you know what? Honestly, I'll be honest with you. I like saying no um, because no means that I know where I'm supposed to be. I know the lane I'm supposed to be in, and I'm okay setting healthy boundaries. I think that. Um, a lot of a lot of people say yes to a lot of things. It's always the eighty twenty rule. Eighty percent of the business comes from twenty percent of the work. And honestly, I don't care about the other twenty percent of the business because I wanna focus on on really my lane and where I need to stay. Perfect. We'll be right back.
0: is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio.
1: If you are in business, what is the number one thing that stops revenue growth? Not having enough leads. Data is the new gold rush.
3: call in sick when you're actually not ill? According to a recent survey, this is a common practice of about one-third of the working public. On the flip side, 30% of employees say they've gone to work sick in order to save their sick days for when they're feeling well. That's pretty twistical or not quite moral. Career Builders does an annual study to see what excuses workers are using when calling in sick. One employee called in to say their false teeth flew out of the window while driving into work. One employee said he couldn't get in his car because it was surrounded by angry bees. While another claimed they thought they had won the lottery. What are words for poor excuses? Flapdoodles and fimble fambles. It's merchandise. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and Words You Never Heard has been brought to you by the Bariatric Surgery Center of Dallas.
0: Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have, and this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio, and here again is your host, Brian K. Wright
1: are back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest is Matt Kirkard. I cannot believe how quickly this is going and down the stretch we come. If you've not downloaded and subscribed to Success Profiles Radio and iTunes, Apple Podcasts, please do so. Leave a review. That would mean a lot to me. So, Matt, you've done your fair share of hiring. You've built a really solid team. What mistakes do companies make in establishing a culture to work in?
2: Oh, that's a great question. I think especially when you're building a company, culture is I mean, culture is kind of one of the number one ter- things we talk about. Um, I think that before I start hiring and before I build, uh, we do our nvvp We do missions, visions, values, and beliefs and perspective. But the mission, vision, values, beliefs piece of that is really, really important. You need to figure out your identity. You need to figure out who you are, where you're going, what's important to you, and secure those core values so that, as you're hiring, you can hold that hiree and hold the people you're building up against those and see if they match. And if they don't, it doesn't mean they're a bad person or whatever, but they're not a right fit for your business. Yeah. So, um, and you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay looking at someone being like, man, you're really awesome. You're a fantastic person with a great skill set. You just don't line up with where I'm going. And you've got to have people that are aligned and aligned with you. Um, because that's the only way you're going to continue to go smoothly. Otherwise there's a ton of friction between the two. So Um, I think that's the key is to really know who you are, know your identity is, know what's important to you and make sure you hire people to have that same set of values.
1: Perfect. I think I know the answer to the next question I'm going to ask you, but for those who might be starting their businesses now, or might be struggling right now, what's your best piece of advice? Mm.
2: I'm so intrigued to know what you were thinking. I was going to say, I actually, that's a great question. And I. Again, I would probably have a very different, you know, giving a blanket piece of advice is different than talking to that person saying, oh, here's something I think I should do. You know what I mean? But a a blanket piece of advice would be to, uh, again, to stay true to who you are, stay true to what you know you want to do, what the vision for the company is. If you're starting a business, Mm -hmm. you're trying to take something from zero to one, you clearly have a vision. You have Mm -hmm. an idea of what you want this to be and stay true to what you want this to be. The other thing that I think is wildly important is um, ensuring that you keep the correct priorities and are willing to set the correct and healthy boundaries. Um, Many entrepreneurs end up workaholics. I, I, watch people walk away from their families, lose their kids, like just horrible things. And that is yeah. not only is that horrible and terrible. Yeah. We don't want to see that happen, but it also really damages your growth as a business because now you have a lot of other stuff that you're bringing into this. Yeah. And so I can't tell you the amount of times and, and I've learned that I've, I've worked with that. Uh, you know, my wife is abundantly gracious and I, um, already grief some of the time that I've probably missed with my kids that I shouldn't have. However, I have learned that even if I've got a $10 million client on the phone, that client is not going to disappear because I go take time with my kids to put them to bed. Right. I can call that client tomorrow. The world is not falling apart. And in the event that my client is like, you didn't call me back immediately. It's my phone call. I don't want to work with you. That's not the person I want to work with anyway. No, So they'll you probably, have to be really comfortable knowing where your boundaries are and keep those priorities straight. They'll probably respect you more if you say, I got to spend time with my kids hundred percent. And I've actually, I've even gotten clients to, to come back at me because of that statement, because yeah. I said, no, I ignored you last night because the world's not ending. You are fine. And I needed to spend time with my kids. And they're like, oh, I love that about you. Yes. You're yeah. the person I want to work with. You know? Perfect. Perfect. And to
1: just for the record, what I thought you were going to say was go out and meet people.
2: Well, there's that too. I mean, that's the key. I mean, that's always going to be your starting point is go meet people. But yeah, but yes, yeah. I think priorities straight. If you're building above just meeting people, priorities straight it would be my number one thing. Priorities boundaries,
1: making sure yeah. you know who you are and where you're going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you're struggling, my advice would be, I reckon you better go out and sell something.
2: Well, that's true too. I mean, again. <laughs> <laughs> what, what we talked about, what's the number one thing I need to tell people to do is just try, go for it. Stop yeah. sitting around and dreaming about it. I did have a, I'll, I'll give you an anecdote. I had a, I started real estate with another woman and she's brilliant. We started in the same, at the same time. And she, man, that girl went to 40, probably 40, 50 hours a week of trainings mm. and coachings and classes and for a year. And at the end of the year, she'd sold about a million and a half in real estate. I'd sold almost 13 million in real estate. And um, she was like, how did you do that? And I was like, I didn't spend 60, 50 hours a week in classes. I spent 50 hours a week meeting people and doing the business. And it, there, there's a benefit to being coached and a benefit to learning and education, but there, but you have to also exactly do that. You have to go do it. You can't just talk about it. You got to go try. You've got to be out in the middle of it, trying, failing, growing, getting yourself up again and doing it again
1: and just keep going. Fantastic. Creating raving fans is so critically important. What do you think are your best practices for this?
2: Oh, above and beyond, you know, it, it it comes down to, I want to, I want to predict what their needs are going to be. Um, I want to know, you know, I want to know, again, as much of their stories I can know, so I can actually really dive into, um, to their life and know their life. One of the best things I learned is actually a, a, a person in my life who I have a ton of respect for. Uh, when we first met at the end of our conversation, we were just meeting him and I for coffee at the end of the conversation. He's like, I need to know your wife's name. And at first I was a little taken aback at the end of it. I was like, I gave him an update and he wrote it down. And for the rest of the time we talked every conversation, he's like, and how's Kelsey Mm -hmm. and every conversation he asked about my wife. And I was so wildly impressed because he knew me, he knew my wife, he knew what was important to me, where we're at. And he was asking about the things that were important to me every single time, even though he'd never even met her. And we were, you know, not, not necessarily like close friends or anything. So, um, I think that, uh, that it is always going to be diving into that other person's story and making sure that I, I know them and I'm there to serve their needs and help them. Maybe even when they don't know they need help, but yeah. I can step into that space and say, Hey, I got ideas of how I can, I can continue to improve. I know you're having this issue. Let me figure out if I can solve that problem. You didn't even know you needed solved. That is fantastic.
1: So because you have experienced a really high level of success in your business. It means you're pretty productive. So what are your top productivity tips?
2: Mm. I think productivity at the end of the day boils down to efficiency. Mm. Um, and I am wildly efficient, which some of that is the 80, 20 rule. You know, most mm-hmm. people say 80% of the business comes from 20% of the work. And I know a mm-hmm. lot of people who spend a lot of time trying to capture that other 20% of the business. Mm-hmm. I don't even think about the other 20% of the business. I only work on the 80%. Um, mm-hmm. And I (laughs) will always build in automation and systems It comes to having good systems, good tools. Um, we have the best CRM, we've got the best, you know, I'm, I'm make sure that all of the things that I have in my world are, um, taking care of, of helping me do my job better. I know Mm. where my weaknesses are and I make sure that I have the right things in place to help subsidize my weaknesses. Yeah. And then, um, and then um, it's really about just managing my time and, again, prioritizing what's important and getting it done. At the end of the day, I think people are a lot more efficient than they think they are if they just, do yeah. if they just get in, do the job, get it done, and move on. And then mm-hmm. allow themselves the time to rest. I was just talking to another agent today, and obviously we're in January. January is a little bit notoriously a slower time in real estate. And mm-hmm. a lot of agents right now are out there 24-7 pounding the pavement. And I take time real estate is such a cyclical job. I right. I know that January is slow. I enjoy the fact that January is slow and I let myself rest in that time because I know yeah. that in two months I'm gonna be real busy. So I'm gonna let myself rest and breathe and take time to be healthy and, and care for myself in that so that when March does come, I can be really productive. Yeah. Whereas if you're Pounding the pavement right now, and you're giving everything you have to try to drum up a little bit of business now. Then the massive amount of business you could have gotten in March, you won't have the energy and ability to do. Wow! So that's... it's it's taking time to understand your business and yeah. be okay with those moments of rest and those moments of, of break and and uh, um, you know being able to sit in that and be okay with that.
1: Perfect. How do you handle adversity, and how long does it take you to get going again?
2: Oh, it doesn't even face me anymore. I think when you start your own business, you have to just kind of know that adversity is going to be the name of the game. Right. Um, and not in a, I, I, I mean, if I've done something wrong or if I've hurt someone that affects me and I want to make sure that I can you know, try to remedy that. But as far as people just, I mean, I've been told that I'm not going to be able to do this job since I started it. Mm. Um, I'm a musician, you can't do business. Oh man, you're never going to sell real estate in Tennessee if you don't wear a suit. Yeah, I don't wear suits to sell real estate. Like, I, I at the end of the day, I think you just you always have people telling you things and speaking things over you, and I just don't think you have to buy into any of that. And if someone yeah. doesn't like, you know, um, inevitably you have clients that that it doesn't work or or something happens. You know, their house didn't sell, and 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 probably by no fault of my own, but maybe because of something I did. At the end of the day, that goes away. I move on, and I just keep going past it. You can't let those things stop you from. Um, You know, take the momentum away from you. Momentum is a really, really, really hard thing to get. And once you get momentum, you just kind of kind of let things roll over you like water, you know, just hey, that didn't work or there's oh that, you you know, that adversity came at me. Okay, moving on, I'm going to keep going. Yeah, Um, you know. It just doesn't really affect me much anymore, which again, I think that's part of the musician thing with me too, right? I, I right. think as a musician, you—I my entire life has been in front of juries and educators and competitions and, yeah. and someone says you're the best and the other person says you're a disgrace to music and you just kind of figure out how to sit in the middle of that. So it's yeah. allowing yourself to sit in the tension of both and not stop moving. Oh, and usually the critics are the ones that don't know much about music anyway, right? For sure. Absolutely. Um, or have a different idea. I, I mean, I, I did have a, pia- a piano professor at one point in time, and he's a brilliant pianist, but he's a classical pianist. And I had I was classically trained, but I took a lot of time off and went into some jazz studies. Completely different technique, completely different, you know, whatever. And so he is purist, and so he hates the jazz technique. And so he thought I was a terrible musician because I wasn't doing it his way. Yeah. Fine. You're not the right educator for me. There's someone else over here that's saying, I love what you're doing. Let me press into that. I I, yep. I think it's just a matter of understanding that everyone's, you know, everyone's going to have their opinions and you just keep rolling with what you know you're supposed to do.
1: Gosh, that's wonderful. We've got two minutes until the end. What has surprised you the most about entrepreneurship?
3: <clears throat>
2: um, It's a great question, too. I think. I think what has surprised me the most is that. Um, is why doesn't everyone do it? Why isn't everyone owning their own thing and running with it? You know? Right. <laughs> Excuse me. And I think that what I've learned is that at the end of the day, the entrepreneurship within it, <laughs> within of itself is a skill set. And there are people that are visionaries mm-hmm. and there are people who are implementers and executors. Yep. And I'm a visionary, which means I go from zero to one. And then I'm unable to go from one to ten. I don't want to. I have no desire to. I'm bored. I'm moving on to my next thing. I have to have other people around me that are not visionary, that Mm -hmm. aren't implementers and executors to be able to take me from one to 10. So I think what's what's been the most surprising to me is understanding that not everyone has to have my skill set. And that's a really, really, really good thing, because if everyone had my skill set, we'd be nowhere. We'd be a disaster. But because I have my skill set and someone else has their skill set, we work together and we can create something great.
1: Fantastic. How do we get a hold of you? How could we try with you and vibe with you? 100%
2: movementpropertygroup.com. It's our website. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever you want to find me on. But Matt Kirkgaard um, for me, my music, and then Movement Property Group for our real estate team here in Nashville. And um, yeah, I would love to connect. Great.
1: That is movementpropertygroup.com. So Matt, thank you so much for being here. It was an honor and a privilege and a joy. And we are going to stay in touch after this.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was great.
1: Awesome. And thanks to all of you for listening. This has been Success Profiles Radio and join me every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, where I interview another world-class achiever, learn what they did, what they overcame, and the lessons that we can learn from them along the way. Until next week, take care, be good to each other, be good to yourself, most importantly, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye, everyone.